Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? Uh, John was just saying to me how we're struggling to get the podcast going this week because we're having a bit of a giggle. A bit of a I giggle. Hope, hope you're in good form. Welcome to the podcast. You know the score. This is the podcast that tries to make economics comprehensible understandable and a little bit more relevant to everybody's lives because economics is pretty straightforward. But unfortunately, lots and lots of people try to make it very complicated. So let's stick with our general word on this, John, which is what is complicated is rarely important and what is important is rarely complicated. Apparently so. There you go. How are you, Ed? I'm good. Mac, let's head down to the West Lower. So we're back, John. You never know, two weeks ago we were in the West Lower. Yeah. You watching? Throw us over one of those prawn sandwiches there, will you? <laughs> two prawn sandwiches. No, but the prawn sandwiches is Roy Keane in Man United, <laughs> in Old Trafford, <laughs> in the Stratford end. We're going to get a look. We're going to be talking about vaccines. We're going to talk about Joe Biden. We're going to be going to the, to the UK to talk to the chief political editor of the Financial Times about the resurrection of Boris Johnson. We've loads of stuff going on, but we're just going to do a little bit local today in respect of Davies stockbrokers. But the West Lower, if you don't know, is the area of old Lansdowne Road, which is now called the Aviva Stadium. Aviva is not some Celtic goddess, but it's an English <laughs> insurance company. Such More the, the same thing. Yeah, such is the way this country works, you know. You think it's Cucullin or some sort of Celtic goddess of fertility? No, it's actually an English insurance company that sponsors our national stadium. But the, the West Lower stand, so just imagine this, is the best views in the house, just in front of the president. Seats are rarely sold because it's a corporate jamboree. If you want to see how the Irish economy works at the higher echelons, just rock up to a rugby match in the West Lower and you'll see all the players and all the captains of industry. And John, they were caught with their pants down this week. They were. They yeah. were, absolutely. But explain it to me, because, you know, I'm not really sure what happened there. OK, so what happened is Davies Stockbroker is the biggest stockbroker in the country. Yeah. Probably got to think about 60% of the market. Yeah. Always very much regarded as the blue-blooded stockbroker. It is the primary 
dealer in Irish government gilts, Irish government bonds, very much, you know, if you're a big Irish corporate, you go to Davies. This is the whole thing. And there has always been, I think, a certain amount of fear of them in the market, the way they behave, and a certain, probably about a certain amount of corporate jealousy as well because they are the biggest players, et cetera. But, but, and this is the thing, As a stockbroker, you're supposed to represent the interest of your client, right? So if I go to you, right? That stands to reason. So, so here's the story, right? I won't give you the... It doesn't really matter the background. It's an, it was an Anglo-Irish deal. But what basically happened was the shares in Anglo-Irish... Anglo-Irish are, Bank. Yes, the former Anglo-Irish Bank, are falling. Some guy owned these shares, and he was being represented by Davies, right? right. Names don't really matter. Yeah. And... Davies are employed by him and paid by him to get the best price for his assets. Sure. So he's trying to sell these shares. And the fellows from Davies say, listen, mate, let's, we'll, just put, we'll just say, we can only get you 20 quid. That's the best price we can get you in the market. Right. So your man says, okay, fair enough. I'll sell my block of shares to a client of Davies who he doesn't know. So right. it's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. But the Davies guys did is they got together a consortium of their own senior management. They bought the shares from your man for 20 when they knew they were worth 30. They knew they could sell them on for 30 in the market. That's the deal, right? It doesn't really matter who the people are, the amount of money, et cetera, et cetera. At its core now, that's that's stealing from your client. Yeah. So the central bank, right? The central bank. It's so blatant. I know, it's so blatant. And then, of course, the characters involved are all the senior management. Mm. So the central bank gets alerted to this and basically says, hold on a second, this is wrong. After the usual Irish thing, it takes years and years and years yeah, and years, yeah, yeah. right? But they find Davies. When did this happen, by the way? On Friday. No, 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 sorry. When was the original deal? Years gone? ago. Years oh, it was ago. Eight years Two, ago. Yeah, 2013 or 12 or something like that. So a oh, long, long time ago. Jeez, so it only, it took him this long to get I know, I know. It's, okay. the, you know, it's the Irish, it's like, it's like the tribunal. If you remember the tribunals yeah, in Ireland, right? Yeah, yeah. If you were a corrupt politician and you wanted to set up a process of investigation that would not investigate you, you would set up a tribunal. Right. And that's exactly what Ireland did, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> It's true. Like, you couldn't have engineered it better yeah, know, if you were trying to hide something, right? Anyway, the central bank find the company. So think about what's happening here. The senior management set up a consortium, mm-hmm. and they're shareholders, mm-hmm. right? They're the yeah. major shareholders, in order to enrich themselves, Yeah. number one. The crime in the eyes of the central bank, and rightly so, was basically you robbed your client. Yeah. And you paid yourself, you enriched yourself. But the central bank then find the company Davies. Right. But the company, Davies, is owned by other shareholders. So what you have is something called minority oppression in this space. The rest of the shareholders who did nothing wrong, so like, let's say, Davies, there's, there's 200 employees there. Right. 16 fellas took cash, yeah. right? But the company itself has been fined. So all the rest of the shareholders have actually to stump up for the crimes of the big guys. So that's, of course, right. is something weird. But again, it'll be very interesting to see what the Irish corporate sector do. Do they say, in actual fact, we can't deal with these people anymore? Or do they actually... What do you think is going to happen? Look, I think it's inconceivable that the senior brass there can remain in place if there's a thorough investigation. Yeah. But I think what's going to happen is it's going to shine a light. It's a lot of these things. You know the Yanks say about cockroaches? They don't Mm -hmm. come in once. 
Mm. You know, in New York, <laughs> they never, they never one cockroach. There's always, you know, like so. Basically, like a lot of these things, it shines a light on one deal, and then suddenly there's a next one, and yeah. the next one, yeah. and the next yeah. one, and you find. And I mean, if this is found to be endemic, this sort of insider trading, this sort of jobs for the boys, this sort of the West yeah. Lower, as we said, yeah, yeah. you know, then they've got a serious problem. But they were, they were fined for odd million quid, yeah. weren't they? For a company that's worth apparently about 350 million. So it's nothing to them. And then just promised that they'd never get caught again. <laughs> exactly. Now, go away and don't get caught again. <laughs> but, 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 but hang on a second. Because this is such a blatant scam and daylight it's, robbery. It is robbery. I mean, if but you... So, so, but the, the, the sanction should not be a fine. It should be prison, surely. Well, this is what I... Look, if, if, if you were a political... So basically, and again, the politics, this is quite interesting, right? Mm. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are in power with the Greens, right? This should be an open and shut case that the government should say, look, this is wrong. We are going to investigate. We cannot have corporate behaviour. What the government is, is, it's allowed Sinn Féin and the people before profit to run with this. Yeah. yeah. As if course, the yeah. government are on side with the insiders, yeah. right? I would think if you're falling in the polls as the government is, what you would just say is, hold on a second, here's an open goal for us. We'll go and, and investigate this, yeah. you know? But apparently not. But I mean, what is interesting is one of the recurring themes in Ireland for people inside and outside is the closeness and the proximity and the golden circle and the fact that there's yeah. lots and lots of people seem to be very, very interrelated. This could be the beginning of a, a serious investigation into the finance game here, which, which could be quite interesting. Jeez, if we're not careful, we might have another um, tribunal or two. A five, exactly. <laughs> well, the, the, the ma got vaxxed up. Actually, Good. let me tell you. Yeah, it is great. Uh, so did my ma. Oh, did she? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Last Wednesday. So they're all vaxxed up, but I brought her down to the dock and, I, you know, they go in, they vaxxed them and they have to hang out for 15, 20 minutes just in case there's any reaction and stuff. So... I was waiting outside and I was chatting to one of the nurses and I said to her, how's the vaccinations going? And she said, it was great. We got about, you know, it was a bit middle of the day. She said, we got about 90 done so far. I said, geez, that's brilliant. Then ma'am came out and I'm walking back to the car and I said, ma'am, that's brilliant. They've done up to 90 so far today. She turns around and says, did they fax me? (laughs) I said, yes, ma'am, they did. Oh, great. And she went home to look up flights to Spain straight away. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Good for This her. is just on her mind I constantly. But I mean, I think, I think the minute we're let out, people are just going to go wherever they possibly can. Well, absolutely. And do you know what? There's a couple of things that really infuriated me this week. Oh, uh, and I, I, I'm yeah. not prepared to say quite about them. <laughs> but, you know, this whole debacle about the vaccinations and stuff, they've been sending out vaccinations but without syringes. They sent a whole bunch down to Galway, apparently, and some doctor was running around during the night trying to get uh, syringes. You know, that's like selling somebody petrol without a car. <laughs> it's mad. It's mad. It's like, it's well, I mean, I think vaccinations now, John, are political destiny. This is quite clear, that if a country or a politician or a group of politicians gets the vaccination right, the political upside is enormous for us. And we're going to talk about Boris Johnson in a couple of minutes yeah. with Robert Shrimsley because Johnson's having this honeymoon period again. Yeah. Because so the Brits seems. have got the vaccine right. 
I have an idea, which is, you know, Paddy's Day, you know, well, Michael Martin isn't going over. Yeah. Which I actually think is wrong. I think he should have come. If they're letting half a million Brazilians in, why can't your man Absolutely. go off? Right? Jesus. I mean, it's it's Wokipedia gone mad. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, he's the he's the Taoiseach. His job is different to everybody else's. You yeah. Know? He's not a podcaster. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's, yeah. he's, his job is different, okay? And... Maybe he should be. Well, that's true, actually. <laughs> that would be a funny podcast. It would. Um, you know, but, like those fireside chats that FTR... FTR, and, yeah, yeah. used to do. It could be Sunday evening. Michal Martin doing it. Michal with a little glass of whiskey. Yeah. Talking to the nation. Well, I mean, in fairness, this, this government just seems to give press conferences every day. And the message. Michal, if you're listening, I'm John's available. He's got his, yeah, John's, he's got his mics. He's got it all down. But uh, I think Michal should go. He's not going to the White House. Yeah. But like, you know, this virtual, there'll be a virtual, there'll be a Zoom between himself and Joe Biden. Just ask Biden. Say, give us four million vaccines there, yeah. Joe. You know, and the reason I think this is, is, is a runner is that the Yanks now, their vaccination program is phenomenal. It's that idea that we've talked about before, that the Americans start slowly, but when they actually get going, mm. the country is so big, it's so productive, its manufacturing base is so unbelievably strong. It's infrastructure in terms of getting things done through the army and whatever. You know, So they're doing yeah. two and a half million vaccinations a day. Joe Biden came out this week. They were hoping at very best when he was inaugurated that in the first 100 days they'd do 100 million vaccines. Yeah. They're going to have 350 million ready. It's all going to be done by May. The whole thing. I actually thought that was a bit, when he did say that, I thought it was a bit ambitious, but he seems to be on target. They're doing three times that. Do you know what? Thank God for Operation Warp Speed. If Trump didn't set that up, we wouldn't have that. I know. He's great. Your your friend. I got the vaccine. Anyway, (laughs) but... Extraordinary things happening in, this, in the United States that they have ramped up their production and their distribution. They're also cleverly and logically mm. distributing through pharmacies. Oh, you know? look. I mean, there's so, so many. You know, Walgreens and all those big American yeah. pharmacies, they're doing the distribution. So they're, they're distributing through the army, through the metal, but also through pharmacies because people, A, people know where the pharmacy is and, and the, every remote town has a pharmacy. Yeah. And B, pharmacists deal with drugs all the time. Like yeah. this, is, this is their Absolutely. stock and trade. So I think... You go, like, what has happened this week is interesting in vaccines. The idea was the Europeans would buy it as a block, but we've made a complete mess of that, right? It's extraordinary because Europe is, and people forget this, the combined European economy is bigger than the United States. So we should have much more purchasing power than the United States, right? Which is kind of crazy. But if you think of it, right, there is a clause in all these agreements that says, in the case of a national emergency, you can actually buy your own vaccine. So it is there. We can do this, right? Which is why we could go to the Americans, right? Second thing, this week, Denmark and Austria have done a deal with Israel to buy vaccines from the Israelis. Yeah. The Poles are doing a deal with the Chinese to buy this to buy the Sinovax. And already the Slovakians and the Hungarians are administering the Russian jab. Yeah, the right? Sputnik. Yeah. Sputnik. So everybody's breaking ranks. So the question is, why don't we just do, hold on a second, because... The vaccine, the most important, vaccine saves lives. Yeah. So if you want to save lives, accelerate the vaccine, and the vaccine allows you to open up society. So it strikes me that you, we could go to the Americans, and, you know, we always talk about the special relationship we have with them, yada, yada, yada. Mm. Well, make it material. And also the thing is that we are blessed in this country with the biggest presence of American pharmaceutical companies anywhere in the world. Yeah. Per square mile. Even in the States, there's no other place with the concentration pharmaceutical companies is greater than here. So we're in their supply chain. So this is a real no-brainer for them. And these guys know how to distribute. 
So otherwise, and this is, we'll talk about Johnson in, in a second, otherwise the vaccination rollout will be the thing. And I, I'm, I'm talking about saving their own political hide, right? Yeah. The vaccination rollout will be the thing that will bring down this government if they don't get it right. Absolutely. But the, the other thing that, I mean, just, you know, talking about the, the lack of syringes and all that kind of stuff earlier, the government has, has spent millions. We spoke about this recently. The government has spent millions on consultants, like the EYs and Price Waterhouse and all these yeah, kind of guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To write know, reports. To write reports instead of actually spending the money on experts, experts in logistics and delivery. You know, in actual fact, Mac, they should have... There it, this, he's got the he's got the puss on him. By the way, <laughs> if you could see him now, he's got the... <laughs> no, he and really. there's another thing, another thing I want to but say. They should actually get super value to distribute them. Do you know why? Do you know why? And I say, why? Is it? I'll tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> and here's why. <laughs> oh, yeah, the JM thing. And here's why. Yeah, exactly, for sure. <laughs> there's a little English shop in Belgium you know, it just stocks all the English food and all that kind of... Stocks loads of shite food. <laughs> shite food, yeah. For all the expats in, in, in Belgium. Brussels. There are very yeah. few expats now. Well, I tell you... Can we just call English people who live abroad immigrants? So yeah, yeah, yeah. For true. all the English emigrants. Yeah. yeah, what is the difference between expat and an immigrant? Every other country... We have loads of Brazilian expats here. Yeah, right? oh, yeah when we lived in the States, yeah. we weren't. Irish expats living in Boston. We were immigrants. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But anyway, so the shop in Belgium had to close down for a few weeks on and off because they kept running out of supplies. So their shelves are absolutely empty until Super Value got on the case and delivered two lorry loads of Irish food, including Tato and Barry's tea and all that kind and of stuff. And rashers and stuff. And rashers, galty rashers. So the English the- shop is now selling Irish stuff. Oh, <laughs> Irish stuff. But Super Value were right on it. And they shipped well, it over, got it sorted straight from Rosslare to Cherbourg or whatever. And yeah, off no, they went. I think, you, but you're right. There's, there's, there's three things in this, John. You're right. One is logistics. One is urgency. You know, yeah. we hear about vaccine hesitancy. Let's talk about vaccine urgency. Why are the Irish state not looking at this with a matter of urgency? And then the third thing is, is it just urgency or is there something else going on that would prevent us? Because I would say, like, if Micheál Martin were to go to the States and come back with a deal, now obviously what you do is it's all done behind the scenes mm. and you just shake hands, like the presidents. It's not as if they just ask right out of the blue, how are you? Would you give us a few of them vaccines? <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's a win-win for him. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a complete win. He, he comes back as a hero. St. Patrick's Day is now a material day. He actually says, we've got the American vaccines. We haven't broken ranks with the EU. We've just done what Denmark Everyone and Austria are doing, yeah, yeah. which is looking after our people because the primary role and responsibility of a state is the health of the citizens. Mm. And it's the lives of the citizens. Yeah. Over and above economics and politics and blah, blah, blah. It's actually looking after people's lives. I just wonder what would happen, though, if uh, if Biden says, yeah, all right, yeah, I'll give you four million. No, we buy them off them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we buy them off them. And he goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. The problem then happens where you, we actually can distribute it properly, well, you know? Well, at least... That's the bit that really gets me. But I just think, because if you if you look, and again, months ago we talked about the difference between the mindset of the bureaucrat and the public servant 
and the mindset of the business person, right? Mm. When you have skin in the game. So for example, if you look at, take the live music industry, take the entertainment industry, take festivals, take pubs, take restaurants. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people in Ireland have been ordered to close their business. This is unprecedented. Now, every single day, those people are going through huge anxiety and trauma. Will I be able to pay my rent? Will I be able to pay my suppliers? What about the people I employ? How are they going to get on? Can I go to Spain? Can can I go to Spain? Can I I go on Joe Duffy and complain about not being able to get the vaccine in Spain and then listen to the Irish radio? No, but you know, people are really, really stressed. Their lives have been completely changed. Absolutely, yeah. Whereas the people making the decisions about the vaccine who aren't or don't seem to have the same sense of urgency are people who still get paid. COVID's been an inconvenience. You know, it's changed their lives, but Mm. it hasn't destroyed their livelihoods, right? So when the people who are making a decision on the vaccine, which is so essential to open up the economy, when their daily lives have not been torn asunder and their businesses haven't been closed down, they don't have the same urgency. Yeah. You know, you're not getting yeah, out of bed, you need to course. do this. So the first thing is, again, and I come back to it, if you don't have skin in the game, you have a completely different time frame, time horizon and tolerance for vaccine mess-ups. If you have skin in the game, the vaccine is the difference between staying in business or having a summer this year yeah. or having a winter this year and, and not. And the reason this is crucial is because the quicker we open the economy, the quicker the recovery, but also, and this is important, the quicker we'll be able to assess the damage that has been done. Because lots and lots of businesses will not open up. So unless we open up quickly, we won't be able to assess, has the economy been put to sleep? And have the ramifications been serious? Or have they just been temporary? And these, these sort of things. And then there's one final thing, John, that... I think could be going on, why we don't do what the Danes do. And that's a lack of self-confidence. So you have the Neffet guys and the health officials really not having the same urgency, mm. right? The whole, that, that structure. And nobody representing business, small business at the top table. And again, as we've said before, you know, small businesses employ 70% of people in this country. Mm. 70%. But the other thing is, There is, at the top in Ireland, an obsession with being seen as good little Europeans, right? Yeah. And they misdiagnose supplication for strength, right? That we will not, it will not look good if Ireland breaks Mm. ranks because they don't have the self-confidence of a country like Denmark. Denmark is a member of the European Union, has been for years, actually joined the same day as we did, Mm. right? But the Danes, like they didn't join the Euro, they said, no, we're not really into that. We, we, we moved you along. They didn't join the Euro. They, they've always done their own little thing because they're self-confident. Yeah. Because they know yeah. their yeah. strengths, right? Whereas we, it's the good room idea. Yeah. You know, whereas we have this, we seem to have this fear of being seen in Brussels to be slightly beyond the pale. And again, after Brexit, we're going to talk to Robert now in a second about that, but it strikes me that there's two things going on. The vaccination hesitancy our lack of urgency comes from the fact that skin in the game, they do not have. But the second thing is, I also think that breaking away from the EU, we will be the last to actually look for vaccines from somewhere else. 
because of this good little European idea. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is looking after your people is the DNA of politics. Of course it is, yeah, yeah. So ultimately, vaccines are destiny. If you get it right, look at Joe Biden, right? People thought, sleepy Joe, he's not going to do anything. Even in this podcast, lots of people said, well, he won't do much. Yeah. He's done a hell of a lot. But crucially, Americans feel safe. That's the thing. They feel that their lives are safer with Joe Biden. Mm. And therefore, he's right up in the polls and he can do whatever he wants now. And I think our government should look at that and say, look, if we get this right, we can do so much about other stuff. Yeah, but will the government actually hit back and say, well, actually, Ireland's GDP grew last year by 3% or whatever. The only country in Europe that actually grew. Now, I, I know, I understand a lot of that is down to all the multinationals. That, all of that is down to like, All of it, is it? Yeah, I would, say, I would say we should probably never use GDP in Ireland for anything because the figures distort it. There is a figure called GNI star. Yeah. GNI is gross national income, which takes out or tries to take out the impact of the multinationals. And that still grew a little bit. Right. But the point... So they're doing something right. Like, I don't want to be bashing the government constantly. No, no, absolutely not. Look, look I wrote that book, Renaissance Nation. Said that we've been doing such a huge amount of things right over the last 40 years. Yeah. But the thing is, when you start doing things right, your standards increase. Your bar is raised. Right. That's the thing. So you think, okay, fair enough. Our dilemma here is not that the government's doing things wrong, but that we have been caught in this brace where the European Union seems to have maybe possibly got vaccines from the wrong company because it does seem that AstraZeneca is incapable of delivering on Mm. time. The question is then, if other countries, I, I use the Danes as a good example, say, okay, we understand the problem, but we're going to try and go somewhere else, go to the Israelis and get their vaccines, right? Clearly, then, there is the opportunity for this government to say, OK, we want to open up as quick as we possibly can. So consequently, let's go and look elsewhere. The fact that they don't demands analysis and yeah, demands investigation because you think, hold on a second. Now, God forbid we go to the Brits and ask them, Mm-hmm. That'd be shocking after all that Brit bashing and Brexit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just on the UK then, Mac, let's go and find out. Because th- you were talking about Boris Johnson being the Renaissance man. The resurrection of the Boris. Resurrection. It, on the third day, he rose again. <laughs> Boris Johnson, it is. With a big bedhead on him. <laughs> exactly. Let's go and talk to Robert Shrimsey. Robert, how are you doing? I'm all right, David, as well as you can be when you can't walk much further than the outside of your house. Yeah, no, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Let's talk about Boris Johnson and the kind of resuscitation of Boris Johnson. I mean, has he, in in the eyes of people, kind of got away with it? He seems to be doing everything right, having done everything wrong about for the last two years, or last year at least. I always said he was a genius, David. You never get a word <laughs> against him from me. Um, well, he's done two things right, and it may well be that that's what matters in the short term. And obviously, three, if you believe in Brexit. You know, one has to accept that he's been successful in Brexit um, on his terms. But... I was talking to a senior conservative the other day. You know, the idea that we would be applauding and that the opinion polls would be rising on a prime minister who's overseen, you know, the highest death toll in Europe, you know, 120,000 plus deaths from it, and that he would actually be coming out of this crisis at least as strong as he was going into it, is quite something. And he said, "Yeah, but you know, it's not how you start; it's how you finish." And nobody remembers Norway when you've had D-Day. 
And the truth is... That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I mean, it's not a great analogy because Norway is what brought down Chamberlain, but, you know, we get the point. And he has had two really important uh, victories, is not quite the right word, but two really important moments in this COVID crisis. One is the furlough scheme, which showed the government acting in the way it could against a, a, a foe that it didn't control and say, OK, look, we might not be able to control this virus, but we're going to make sure you don't starve. We're going to keep your wages coming. And the second, obviously, more recently, was the vaccine. And the vaccine has worked. The vaccine policy worked. The, the, the British government got it right. They put the effort in. They brought the right people in to supervise it. They bought early. They made sure the stocks were up. And the NHS is experienced at delivering mass vaccine programmes. And, of course, then you have the added bonus from the political point of view that while the British vaccine programme is working well, the European vaccine programme is working terribly, and he is able to say it's because of Brexit that we're able to do this. So what has happened is people are looking at Boris Johnson saying, look, you know what, he got this right. You know, and it also plays testimony to the point that I always sometimes forget is that voters actually don't really believe governments can do very much most of the time. They have quite a low opinion of what governments can achieve. And so the expectations of people like you and me who spend our life obsessing about politics is way higher than the expectations of ordinary voters. That's, that's true, actually. That's very true. Are useless and who don't believe that the opposition would be much better. And so what they're saying is, well, look, you know, of course it's a crisis, but you know, it's a crisis for everyone. Everyone's doing badly. But he did the furlough. He's done the vaccine. You know, he, he's done all right in this. And that's their position. He seems also to have maybe shied away from the media? I don't see him that much. Is that a tactic as well, like less exposure rather than more? I'm not sure about that. I think he was doing a lot of press briefings um, in the, the height of the crisis, last couple of weeks, maybe a little less. I, I think he's been pretty active. I, I also think the point is he is obviously, like anybody, more confident, more comfortable when things are going well. And I think at the very worst period, around the end of December, January, where things looked really bleak for him and he was being blamed for not locking down early enough, people were talking about how he could be gone by the end of the year, at end of 2021, that there could be plots to remove him. And now, obviously, he's just a bit more relaxed. Things are going in the right direction. The Brexit deal got done. The vaccine program's kicked in and it's working. And he's just in a more comfortable position. Now, speaking of the Brexit deal, before I talk about the British budget, uh, the latest moves on Northern Ireland, what do you make of those? Well, I think what they are is a recognition of an antagonistic relationship that's going to continue for a while. I think perhaps some of us naively thought, you know, once the deal is done, once we get, once a new normality is in place, we will slowly drift back down, the tension will ratchet down, and we'll get back on with being neighbours and having to live next door to each other again. But in fact, of course, that's not what's happened. And the antagonism is, in fact, ratcheted up as both sides view each other as strategic competitors. And it's obviously not easy for Britain to adjust to the notion of being the smaller party in these, um, in, in these conversations. And so there's that sort of animal prop that's been damaged. But also, specifically, a lot of it comes back to borders. And particularly with the Irish border, Britain essentially did a deal it didn't want to do. And it doesn't like it. And it doesn't like the people being sticklers for it. So it's sort of hoped, you know, you have imagined these people 100 years ago, that like, we'll do this deal and then we'll all sit down in my club and we'll work out, the, we'll iron out the creases you know, over a nice brandy. But, but of course that hasn't happened, so the creases are still there. And there's political pressure within Northern Ireland. And I think Britain has decided that playing nice hasn't particularly been beneficial. We may as well just hang tough and say, no, we're not having this. And of course, 
the particular moment when um, the European Commission disastrously momentarily threatened to close the border over vaccines was just the perfect cover yeah. um, no, no, for no. the unionists in, in Northern Ireland and the British government to say, well, hang on a minute, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I think what you're seeing is a more antagonistic approach being embraced by Britain as well. I mean, I do have to say, I think on the specific issue that they do have a point. If you're going to extend the deal, you don't really need to agree to extend the supermarket rules at the very last minute. You can do it with a month's notice. So I think there is a bit of sort of argy-bargy going on there as well. And Britain's just said, we've had enough. Let's see what let's let's see what happens if we do it. Yeah, so it's it's, it's basically it's suck it and see and see. You know, I mean, it puts it puts the Irish government in a difficult position. It puts the European Union in a difficult position. It's very, very difficult to see what sanctions uh, opposed to opposed to our T-shirt going to Joe Biden and say, "Tell Boris he's out of out of order." I'm not too sure how this thing plays out. Can I keep on the issue of borders before we talk about the UK budget? Because I want to get to that and talk about Scotland and what is going on in Scotland. The last time we spoke, we spoke about Scotland. The Scottish National Party, you know, were in the not only in the ascendancy, were were unbelievably unassailable, and now. They are scrapping with each other in what a pretty unseemly row up there between Salmon and Nicola Sturgeon. How do you think this will play out? Well, barring some new revelation, my instinct is it's going to play out okay for Sturgeon. And that, you know, the Scottish elections are still going to go the way that we thought they were going to go, more or less. I think they are still going to return a majority parliament for another referendum and for independence. Because even if the SNP vote falls a little bit, there's these other splinter unionist parties that can mop up in the second path of the second section of the electoral system. Uh, The Greens, I think, are certainly pro-referendum, if if not pro-independence, but I think they are. So I would be surprised if it doesn't still doesn't majority for independence and for a second referendum. It will dent her a bit, but I don't know if it's dented her enough. Where it makes a, a difference assuming it stays roughly as it is now, is that she has been put on the defensive by this within her own party. And as we know, there are factions within Scottish nationalism that are more aggressive and more assertive and want her to push more quickly for a referendum, whether or not Britain agrees to it, which legally it has to do. And every time she's felt under pressure, she has become more aggressive on the issue of the referendum and played more to the hardliners in her own party, where her own instincts are naturally cautious, don't want to alienate the other EU nations that might have a problem with an illegal separatist referendum. And so where I think it could make a difference is in accelerating the timetable. But I think what's coming is coming, and it is a Scottish National Party with the apparent mandate to demand another referendum, the British government trying to hold off saying, come on, now is not the time, we're still just coming out of a crisis, seeing how long it can delay things. So I think we'll be into quite an interesting and, you know, nasty political situation come the other side of May. Okay, well, like, how does that play out? So we we started with the fact that Boris Johnson has now kind of shown a clean pair of heels to his, certainly to the Labour Party. And and, and in in the polls, for now, for now, now, in the polls he's doing well. And as you said, you know, the vaccine is the D-Day moment. Look, we've we've got this, Brexit is done. The country didn't fall apart, etc. Where do you think the UK is in five years' time? I know that you and I are doing this gig on the FT weekend gig next Friday Friday evening, but where do you see the UK? Just preempt that. Where do you see the UK in five years' time? I, it's it's a quite a difficult question. I mean, I, I don't think that another referendum in Scotland is avoidable. I don't think the British government can just keep pushing it away, although they're definitely going to try. It is 
they do have a sort of quite useful strategic zen about them in which they just say, we're just going to push and push and let's just see if the other side do something stupid. Let's, let's give them the chance. So they will give the Scottish nationalists the chance to mess up in some way. The polls on independence have narrowed a little bit from having a, a small but clear lead for separatism for most of the last, for most of the time since Brexit. They're just beginning to narrow again, as I think Scots perhaps begin to look at this again and don't love some of the things the SNP has been doing. And of course, the other point about the border rows that the UK is having with the EU now is, I mean, there has nothing to what could happen if you had an independent Scotland um, you know, with a border that really, really matters on the British mainland. And I think the strategy of the UK is now to start saying, OK, you want your referendum. We want to see the full plan. We don't want any of this nonsense that we got away with during the Brexit referendum. Yeah. We want to see what's the currency? What's the plan for the border? What's the plan for free movement? How many years are you going to have the pound? How many years are you going to have the Scottish crown or whatever it is? How many then how, when, when are you going to join the euro? And they're going to do what I think um, John Howard, I think, did in Australia on constitutional matters, where you just say we want the whole plan. And then when you've got the whole plan, you start picking away at it. So. I don't know that it's a given that Scotland goes independent at all. I think it could be quite close and quite tight, and we're not sure how it will play out. We know that Boris Johnson is not at all popular in Scotland. So I don't, I mean, the simple logical question is I don't know. I think it could be very, very close. As far as Northern Ireland goes, if the Unionists can just settle down a little bit, then there is no, then a lot of the talk about reunification seems to me a bit further down the road than everyone yeah, always assumes. I think you're right. I think you're right. And actually, it's if it could get to a, a comfortable position, then it could be in a really, really good place because it's in both. It's it's in the single market for trade. It's in the customs union. It's got open borders with Ireland, and it's got some advantages of trade with Britain. That's quite a good place to be, if it can deal with it. And it is clear from the poll. I mean, although some, I find the polling within Northern Ireland very, very erratic. But it seems to me that the underlying and most reliable polling does not show a desperate urge yet for reunification. And it certainly shows the older population very concerned about things like the NHS and losing that. So I think it's a much longer fuse with Northern Ireland I, than people necessarily assume. I think, you're, I think you're completely right. And I think if the unionists could see the economic advantages of being this region with a foot in both camps and said, look, what did Ireland do? Oh, they got this multinational thing going. OK, well, let's try and do that. And there's clearly British companies that would like to relocate to Northern Ireland in order to avoid all the Brexit, all the bureaucracy regarding red tape, etc., exporting to Europe out of Northern Ireland. Hmm. But unfortunately, unions rarely, rarely see the strategic plan. That's, I mean, that's they, just part of their... Patently, a, you know, a, a sleeper cell of Sinn Féin. I mean, the DUP has clearly been the greatest, you know, the greatest weapon for reunification over the last five years. I mean, I've never seen a party so inept in its strategic thinking is you support Brexit, you oppose every single manifestation of Brexit that can happen. And, and then you complain about, I mean, I, I have watched the DUP both in the Westminster Parliament and in, in the province, and you just think, you thought this was going to make you, drag you further from, our, from, from Ireland and close to Britain. It, you've managed to achieve the precise opposite, not least in your opposition to the Theresa May deal. And now you're still trying to ratchet up tension when that's the thing that will make the unification movement more successful rather than less. I, I, I have to say, strategically, I, I cannot think of a party that has played things worse in the last decade. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they are extraordinary. I think to understand the DUP, you've got to be, go back to about 1642 and a rebellion in Ulster 
Uh, that was only young then, David. Exactly. But that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's all history. Before we go, I was fascinated to see that a conservative chancellor raised corporation tax last week, or proposes to raise it in two weeks, two years' time, and the Labour Party opposed it. What is going on in UK politics when the Tories are raising taxes and the Labour Party are cutting taxes on capital, not Labour? Well, I mean, there's a few things going on there. I Labour Party only opposed it for now, and it isn't happening now. It's happening later on. Um, you know, the Conservative Party stands for a number of things, and one of them is that at some point you need to get the finances in some semblance of order. But, um, but unfortunately for Rishi Sunak, the Conservative Party has also decided to stand for high public spending, and not just through the crisis, which makes a great deal of sense. And I think there, there is an absolute consensus that this is not the moment to be trying to shrink, you know, the size of the state spending. You actually need to Trying to boost no, absolutely, for a absolutely, years. absolutely. But, and, 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 and the Conservatives understand this. But I think that what happened under the Osborne Cameron years is they lost their appetite for austerity. And Boris Johnson is an inherently, he, 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 he likes to say yes. So he, he, he's a prime minister who doesn't like to, to you know, hurt minority groups if he can avoid it, doesn't like to disadvantage them financially, he wants everyone to be happy. And so yeah. he's, I mean, he's if, we, prime... if, we, if we go back to the 1640s, 1650s, he's a cavalier. He's not right. a roundhead. He's a cavalier. <laughs> oh, but very much a cavalier, yeah. And he, um, so he, 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 the Conservatives saw that they went too far in the austerity period. And so what they're saying, what they recognise is, if you want to restore the public finances, you're going to have to put taxes up somewhere. They went into the election with a manifesto saying they're not going to cut income tax, they're not going to increase the rates of income tax, national insurance, or VAT. Um, they have a triple lock on pensions. They've boxed themselves in a dozen different places. They won't raise the fuel duty, even though they're supposedly, you know, very much more environmentally friendly now. So there just aren't that many obvious places. The, the backbenchers are going mad if they raise capital gains tax. So just the number of options they have are quite limited. And the beauty of corporation tax is that individuals don't think they feel it. So uh, almost more important was the freezing of the allowances, which is quite a which is going to raise something like eight billion within about eight billion a year within about four years, and which is a stealth tax. And it's okay at the moment because inflation is not substantial but if it starts to tick up which it very easily could then that's a different story and i think i mean my own view is that they could have taken this moment to say look we had a pandemic the manifesto did not envisage the pandemic you know it's a bit like a bit, a bit like someone said to me it's a bit like going into a war having ha run on a manifesto saying you're going to cut defense spending at some point you go look we're in a war we'd yeah. like to raise defense spending that actually they could have said look this is special circumstances we have to do something in a couple of years time but Boris Johnson vetoed this. And so he's got to find the money somewhere. I mean, I do think there's an element of him that is thinking, well, you know, a couple of years, maybe the growth figures are better than we hope. Maybe I won't have to do this quite as radically. But I actually also have to show the country and the markets that we are prepared to, you know, return to fiscal discipline. But, you know, remember last time we spoke, Robert, just before we go, you talked about this idea that the Tories have to become more like Labour to continue to keep the Midlands and the north of England. And this is part of the whole strategy. Look, I mean, the, I think the Conservatives completely dominate the political territory at the moment. One of the reasons why Labour's finding it so difficult is because the Tories have, because they gifted the Tories their story and the Tories have taken it. And, you know, and the Conservative Party, as we know, has this amazing capacity to adjust to the prevailing winds of the day. And what they have said is, this is a country, our strategy is to reinvest in this country, to put money into regions, into infrastructure, into technology, into green technology. It's to spend more, to boost public services, and that's what they're doing. Now, 
it may be that when we get a couple of years down the line, we can see a little bit more of what they've been up to. It doesn't look quite as substantial, but obviously when you add that in with the phenomenal spending they're still engaged in to take the country out through the rest of the pandemic, it doesn't leave Labour a lot of room just now. So I think it's no wonder that Labour is finding things very difficult at the moment. All they can do is continue to attempt to look competent and wait to see how things play out. Because, you know, I think we could well be at the high point of popularity of the government for quite a while now. Things are going to get tougher. Unemployment's going to go up. Schemes are going to be withdrawn. Brexit effects across the country and in small clusters are going to be felt. And it could well be that within a year, nobody's feeling quite so bright and breezy about things. And at the moment, Labour just have to hold it together and stop indulging in some of the inter nissan warfare, which is going on. I mean, and that's a whole other story because the Corbynites can't allow a semi-centrist to be seen to succeed. But Labour's just got to hold it together and wait for its moment. And if that moment doesn't come, well, they weren't going to win anyway. But that's the only strategy that works. Robert, I'm going to let you go around the house, maybe go to Ikea, go around the back garden, kick the football there, there, around. There's, there's, a, there's a bedroom at the back I haven't been into for hours, so I, I might, <laughs> might pop down there. <laughs> All right, Robert, listen, I'll talk Take to you soon. Easy, thanks, thanks, man. Take care. Bye. Bye. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico, to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Robert actually raised a couple of very interesting points there, didn't he? Um, I mean, the, the one thing that gets me is the this whole thing about the corporation tax. Raising yeah. the corporation tax. It's not straight away. Sure, it's not. It's, it's in, in two years' time. It's in two years' time. A couple of questions on that alone. Is that an opportunity for us? Absolutely. And secondly, um, why don't we raise our corporation tax just by 1% or 2% just to pay for COVID. Okay, two very, very interesting ideas. I think that the first thing is, I don't think Ireland will raise its corporation tax. I don't think they ever will. I think there's a sort of a mantra, which basically says this 12.5% is part of our brand. And Mm. they take the view that once you start playing around with corporation tax, it sends signals to various businesses that they can't be that 
sure as to what the Irish situation would be. But it's five still or six. going to be less than the UK. Look, and This is a huge opportunity because, again, I've always said, think about Brexit. Brexit creates real threats for certain parts of the economy. For example, tourism, but mainly agriculture. Yeah. Which is, if British people, I think British people will continue to come here all the time, right? But agriculture, it is a problem. But the other side is the multinational stroke talent side, stroke capital side, that Britain and Ireland are in competition for investment. That's the critical thing. Yeah. And those 50-50 decisions, again, usually taken in American boardrooms between Ireland and Britain, they'll, put, they'll crunch all the numbers and they'll say, OK, what's coming out here? One of the big things is that Ireland's corporation tax will be 10% less mm. than the yeah. UK's in two or three years' time. Yeah. That's huge. Because that means setting up in Britain will cost you, right? Yeah. And of course, with Brexit, you don't know if you've got access to the European market. Mm-hmm. Like with all this yeah. Brexit stuff going on, and I mean, Robert was very clear there. He said, look, we've got to get used to the fact that Britain is in an antagonistic relationship with Europe for the next five or six years. Because when I asked him about Northern Ireland, I thought it was interesting. He framed it not about Northern Ireland. He said, look, this is the way the game's going to be played now. Mm. That Boris Johnson believes, believes deeply that his electoral chances are bolstered by being anti-European. And he's right. He said the Brexit vote is there. Hasn't gone away. Yeah. And I've just got to wave the flag. So every now and then, what I will do is I'll up the ante, right? If you're sitting in the States, you're thinking, hmm, UK, yeah, big market, yeah, 60 million people. But frankly, I prefer the 500 million people in the European Union. Well, it's like 500 people, 500 million minus 60, 440 yeah. million people, right? Yeah. I prefer that Irish tax system much more advantageous for me. And the other thing, of course, is that when they ratchet up the rural Britannia stuff, sends a signal to immigrants that you're not welcome. And a substantial amount of immigrants in the UK are European citizens. Yeah. And a substantial amount of them, like here, are incredibly well-educated. Mm. So those people will say, you know what? Maybe living in Ireland is going to be nicer. The atmosphere is going to be nicer, etc." So what you have from the UK's moves now is this very strange thing, which is that the Conservative Party has become the Labour Party in politics. It's raising taxes on capital, which yeah, is really yeah, yeah, anti-conservative, yeah. right? They need to become this slightly left of centre party to keep the people in the north of England and the West Midlands on side. Yeah. So what we, and it's, 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 it's the whole thing, what we understood to be simple, logical almost default positions of certain parts of the English establishment have now been thrown in the air. But, what, but do, I still don't understand why they're raising the corporation tax. Because raising corporation tax is popular. It's a popular way of raising taxation. But it's making them less competitive. But as a voter, voters don't pay corporation tax, right? So think yeah. about everything is seen through the, the, the Conservative Party in Britain is the most fantastic re-election machine in Europe, right? They are brilliant at getting re-elected, even if they're out in a limb, right? And they adapt. What they're looking at is they're talking about focus groups and what they're looking at is if we can raise money from capital, yes, it might make us uncompetitive, but it makes us very popular on the, on the street because... That's the average short-termism, though. The Conservatives are always short-term. That's why they keep winning, they always, they're always shutting the, the whole mantra of the Conservative Party 
is we don't believe in anything, right? That's what it is. What, which, which, which way is the wind going? Let's adapt to it. And it's a very successful strategy mm-hmm. because it means that you're always slightly on the zeitgeist. What destroyed them was the fact that Tony Blair was much more on the zeitgeist. Right. And Tony okay. Blair understood that if he brings Labour to the right, he can tap into a disaffected Tory vote. And what Johnson has done, he's done the opposite. He's brought the Tories to the left. And that's the way he's going to win elections. And that's what we're seeing right now. Just before I let you go, on Thursday, we have a very interesting interview with John Collison. John Collison is the youngest self-made billionaire in the world. Irish guy with his brother, they run Stripe, a internet payments company in San Francisco. We're going to be talking to him about an initiative at the University of Limerick where he's trying to create the software engineer of the future. So that's on Thursday. See you then. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more.